tonight. Beautiful, beautiful prayer. Well, my name is Ken Forsythe. Thank you for being here today, and I just want to help you out. I know last night that you got up at 2 o'clock in the morning to set your clocks forward. So theoretically, we lost an hour. Is that correct? Okay, but I have some simple math for you that hopefully will help you get through this message, and there will be no one falling asleep, and that is that in November we fall back, right? So we had a plus one as far as sleep. Now we spring forward, we have a minus one as far as sleep. So I actually taught fifth and sixth grade math at one time, and I know that plus one and a minus one is zero. So you haven't lost any sleep at all. So if you think that, or if you fall asleep during the message, we'll know why. So <laughs> that it's not daylight savings time. So we're going to be back in 1 Peter today. We're going to be in chapter uh, 3, verses 8 through 22. And last week we looked at verses 1 through 7. And Peter, what he's been writing about, he's been giving practical application to Christians who are living in an unbelieving society. And they're being persecuted and they're suffering just because they follow Christ. And we want to be clear on that today as we, we uh, look at the scriptures on this. They weren't suffering for other reasons. They certainly were. We know that. But he's writing to them because they're suffering because they're doing what Christ has asked them to do. And they're facing a lot of per persecution. In fact, Peter says this to them. He says, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, even in suffering, because by doing good, you should put them to silence, and God will be glorified. So when we continue to do good, even in suffering, when those are reviling against us, which we'll just look at in just a moment, when people are doing evil against us, he says you're going to just continue to do good and you will glorify God. And that's Peter's message today to those who were exiled into Asia Minor by the Roman government. Now we know that there's suffering in the world. There's different types of suffering. Paul writes this in Romans 5.12. He says, by one man we sin entered the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned so we suffer because we sin we know that we also suffer because others sin against us or just sin in general and sometimes we have those effects upon us but what peter is writing to these christians is that they're suffering because they're following christ and I think in my heart, what a beautiful way to suffer. Just because I'm following Christ, I might suffer. You know, in Spurgeon, we're going to have a quote from him later. <laughs> what a he says, oh, to suffer for insults and so forth, for Christ. And he thought it was such a blessing to do that. That is something else that Jesus will tell us in this today. Those believers were not well liked. They were treated unfairly. They were slandered. They were being insulted, and they were being spoken evil of because they were Christians. And I want us to get that in our heart and our mind, because they were following Christ and doing the things that he had asked them to do. Of course, Peter's given them some other thoughts, too, to get rid of the sin that they have and to do good among the Gentiles. Those Gentiles were those who were not in Christ, he would say. Jesus said this in John 16, in the second half, he says this, 
in the world, you will have troubles. Take heart, I have overcome the world. So we have Christ even in our troubles. And that's what Peter's writing about. So basically, Peter, and I think it's so simple. I'm such a simple person when it comes to Christ. Trust Christ and follow him. That's really what he's saying. So Peter knew from firsthand knowledge about the suffering of Christ. Right after Pentecost, he and John were preaching the gospel. and They got arrested for doing that. And then they were let go, and the, the, the Pharisees and those in charge threatened them never to preach Christ again. Of course, they did it anyway. Peter later was put in prison for it. So he knows suffering. He knows the suffering of Christ because he has walked with Christ. And he has also seen his suffering. And I, and I just want to qualify this message because Jason has said this a couple of times in the past, I think in the last couple of months also. This is, when Peter's teaching, when the Bible's teaching, this is not a mandate to stay in an abusive relationship. Whether you're a child, it's not a, a mandate to be passive in any way. Maybe you, the good that you're going to do is to speak out. Maybe the good that you're going to do is to get out of that abusive situation. So I just want to qualify that right off the bat. That's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about because we're Christians, because we're following Christ, we're being persecuted. So as we go into the first verse here, it's in 1 Peter 3, 8. Peter writes this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He is calling every believer to unity. You know, in verses 1 through 7, he was speaking to wives and he was speaking to husbands. Now he says, all of you. Well, all of you is all Christians. It's all those Christians he's writing to in the five different places he mentioned in Asia Minor. So it's our responsibility as Christians to help maintain the unity of the body of Christ, the unity in the Spirit, maintain it. That's what Christ would say. That's what Paul said. So he's calling every believer to unity. This unity of mind is to be like-minded in the faith, in the things of Christ. This is what bonds us together. Think about it. Just look around this room. Why, why are we in this place? It's because of Christ. Maybe you have been invited here today, and maybe you're not a Christian. I hope that you will hear this love and this compassion that Christ has for all people. I want us to just to think about how hard it is for just a moment that we're never, ever going to agree on everything. Do you agree with that? Jason preached that last week. I know when my wife and I, after church every Sunday she's in here so I can say this <laughs> we don't agree on where we're going to go to eat it is a battle <laughs> so we don't agree on everything and Peter knows that about the body of Christ when he writes we're not going to agree on everything but we're going to we he's writing have unity in the faith faith have unity in the things of Christ he says we're to have harmony in the body and it's our responsibility to maintain that unity that Jesus has given us. Paul writes this in Romans 15, 5. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. That's what unity means, harmony. In accordance with Christ. 
that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our unity comes from Christ, our living hope. That's what Peter wrote in chapter 1, verse 3. He is our living hope. So that brings us unity together in Christ. It's not the unity of man. Well, we'd be in trouble if we said, okay, our unity is going to be based on these things, and they were not from Christ. It would be very difficult to have unity. All we've got to do is look at the society, the world that we live in. There seems to be no unity at all. At Solid Rock, our unity is rooted in a wholehearted alignment with our statement of faith. And I would encourage you to go online at srchurch.tv and look at our statement of faith if you haven't before. You know, even in disagreement, we can, according to the Word of God, have unity. If we have a willingness to forgive and a willingness to reconcile with one another based on the Word of God, we can still have unity, even in disagreement. And that's what, that's what Peter's writing here. There's no doubt about that. Unity is going to help us support one another, without a doubt. This uh, solid rock statement of faith that we have says that we, what we believe about God the Father, what we believe about God the Son, what we believe about God the Holy Spirit, and much more of those essentials that are in the Word of God. Now, just as Peter was calling the exiles who were suffering to unity of mind, Christ is calling all Christians all the time to unity. And there's a purpose behind it. And Peter has a purpose because he's writing to those who are suffering. It can help us support one another if we are unified. Peter goes on after this, and he says he, he's going to give... Besides unity of mind, he's going to give four other virtues. But I want to share a story with you. I don't think this is a good example, but it might be. <laughs> so you just have to try it, right? I had lunch with a friend of mine a 50, uh, uh, that I graduated with 53 years ago, 54 years ago. And uh, he used to be a pitcher. I was a catcher. And we were playing Carter Riverside High School one time. He was one pitch away from a perfect game. If you know what a perfect game is, no hits, no errors, nobody on base. One pitch. Now, he was a jump ball pitcher. He threw curves and uh, slow pitches and things like that just to keep the batter off balance and so forth. And I had been, wa I had been watching these batters. When, he, when I called for a fastball, they always missed the fastball. One pitch away from a perfect game. We don't have a unity of mind because I'm calling fastball. And he's shaking it off. And I'm calling fastball, and he's shaking it off. He throws a curve, and the guy gets a hit. Threw his perfect game completely out the window. In fact, it was so bad. This is, this is a, a disaster for the whole team, because we actually ended up losing the game over one pitch. If he and I would have had a unity of mind, we would have had a perfect game and a win. If we don't have unity of mind unity in the body of Christ, there's going to be a disaster for sure. So Peter is writing that to have a unity of mind. Next he has, says to have sympathy towards one another. And sometimes that sounds like pity or something like that, which it is, but it's not in a negative sense. In fact, it's this. It says the sympathy is suffering with those who suffer. And that's what was happening to these Christians. That when we suffer together and we have sympathy one for another, we suffer one with another. It's to have compassion one for another. 
to share the feelings of another. This is what Paul writes in uh, chapter 12, verse 15. He says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. When the body rejoices, we rejoice together. When the body mourns, we mourn together. That's unity in the Spirit. And that's what Peter is calling all Christians to. Next he, next he says, have brotherly love. So he's getting to these points, if we have all of these, we're going to be able to support one another in difficult times. And that's what was happening in Asia Minor. Now, brotherly love is nothing more than Christians loving Christians. And you say, well, how, how do I do that? With the love of Christ. He actually says that. In second in First Peter chapter two verse seventeen, Peter actually wrote this. I think Jason spoke on this about three weeks ago. He says, "Writes, love the brotherhood and honor everyone." See, brotherly love is acting toward the good of others. Do we always act toward the good of others? Only you can answer that. Hopefully, we do, especially in the body of Christ and those outside the body of Christ. Because that's what Peter's writing. If we do that, guess what? We're going to have a witness and we might be able to share this great hope that we have in Jesus. And Peter will tell us that in verse 15 later. Paul writes this in uh, chapter 15 of Romans, verse 2. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good. So it's toward the good of each other. That's brotherly love. Christ is our good. We know that. If, we, if you don't know that, we would love to speak to you today about Christ and this great love that He has for you. He is the head of the body, and He commands brotherly love. In fact, He says this, The world will know you if you have love for another. If you don't have love for another, they're going to know you also, but it's not going to be in a good light, is it? When a, when a body is always at each other. And that's where, what Peter's getting to. You're having some tough times, he says. Have unity, have brotherly love, have sympathy toward one another so that you can support one another. Then Peter says to have a tender heart. I think the best description of a tender heart is what it's not. The opposite of it, of a tender heart, is being rough or harsh toward others. It comes from the very bowels of our being in Christ to have a tender heart. It's, it's to pity someone. It drives us to compassion and tenderness for others and their suffering. And I, I would have to ask this as the body of Christ here at Solid Rock, which do you want? Do you want harshness and roughness when someone speaks to you? Or do you want a tender heart? Think about that. Which do you choose? I know what I choose, but then I have to ask myself, which one am I giving? Am I treating people with a tender heart or am I treating them with roughness and harshness when I speak to them and in the way that I treat them? Christ would say, we know what Christ's answer is. Christ was very tender-hearted. There's no doubt about that. So the, the last virtue that he talks about is having a humble mind. And we think about a humble mind, humility in this particular culture was a sign of weakness. So if you had humility, you were weak. 
but we know that's not true when it comes to Christ because Christ humbled himself all the way to the cross. Remember that we are God's people. We are different. And we have to remember that, especially as Peter writes these things, because these are hard things. Oh, I got to be nice to all those people who hate me and insult me and, and say evil things about me? Yes. That's what Christ said. And we'll take a look in just a minute of what he actually did because he is our example. As far as having a humble mind, we're to be right-sized. What does that mean? It's not, it means not to think too highly of ourselves, and it's not to think too lowly of ourselves. It's to, it's to know who we are in Christ. I would ask the question, do you know who you are in Christ? If you don't know, let me read what Peter says. This is amazing. He says this, that we're a chosen race, that we're a raw priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And I read, I go, that's who I am in Christ. Not thinking too highly of myself, not thinking too lowly of myself, because neither one of those are healthy in any form or fashion. But these are the characteristics of Christ, are they not? The fire that we just went through. Did not Christ have unity with the Father? Did not Christ have compassion? brotherly love, a tender heart, and humility. Peter says, have these. And I love the way he it, it translates that. Have unity of mind. Have sympathy. And I know these can be difficult, but we have a lot of help. There's no doubt about that. But it's to build a strong relationship with each other. To support one another, especially in times of suffering. We rejoice together and we mourn together. We suffer together as the body of Christ. Now Peter addresses how to respond to this evil and this reviling that he spoke about, that he's going to speak about in uh, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you might obtain a blessing. We have that blessing Peter spoke about, this uh, the obtain, it's, there's the, another, but I can't even talk right now. Let me get my voice back. <laughs> Actually, the word is inherit a blessing. Paul, uh, Peter already talked about it in chapter 1. We have this inheritance, this hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's, he's saying, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Do not retaliate. Oh, that's a, that's a new one. Do not retaliate. Bless. The opposite. We're God's people. Don't retaliate when someone insults you, when someone speaks evil of you. This repaying evil for evil is thinking. It's all kinds of evil, by the way, is what the Scripture says. It's thinking evil. It's speaking evil, and it's acting evil. Now, this reviling is insults, it's slander, it's mocking, it's ridicule and contempt. These Christians were facing all of this just because they were following the ways of Christ. So on the contrary, bless. What is this bless? Well, I'm getting insulted. People are speaking evil of me just because I'm a Christian. <laughs> and Peter writes, bless. I'm going... Okay, that's going to be pretty tough. But what he's saying is here in this bless, it's to petition God. 
Did not Christ himself say, pray for those who persecute you? And it's also sharing the good news, which Peter's going to talk about in just a moment. That when they see our good works, they want to know why. Why you're being insulted. You're being spoken evil of. Why are you doing good? And it's for Christ's sake. And they want to know why. And that's what Peter's getting to. So I would ask this question. How are we doing with retaliation? I think retaliation is rampant even in our society. I like to watch the news every once in a while. I'm getting to where I can't watch the news every once in a while because it's always retaliation. This person said this about this person. Well, this person is now going to say this about this person. And Christ says, don't do that. Bless them. Isn't that amazing what Christ says? Do we repay evil for evil in our family? Do we insult those at work who insult us? Do we think evil on those who are not followers of Christ? That's the opposite of what Christ is teaching. So if we're going to follow Christ. What about social media? How do you do on social media? I don't do well because I don't get on social media. Uh, I think my granddaughter's here today. One time she put me on social media. I don't use it, but I'm on there. <laughs> so I didn't like the picture she took of me either, so I'll just tell her that since she is here. So, uh, But how are we doing? My wife told me a year ago, she goes, well, you remember so-and-so we went to high school with? And I said, yes. She goes, look what he's saying about Christians. It was terrible. What was my first response? Well, I gotta get that. I'd like to get that guy. But then Christ says, no, pray for him. Why don't you somehow get in touch with him and share the gospel with him? Ask him, why, why are you beating down Christians? You know, you were such a good person in school. But to bless those who persecute us. Because we are different, because we are God's people is the reason that we do this. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, chapter 23, Jason preached on that a couple of weeks ago, that when Jesus was reviled, this is what we're talking about, insulting, slander, and so forth, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Well, that's an important verse right there. And Peter's already spoken that to those who are in Asia Minor. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. We can do the same. We can entrust ourselves because we have Christ, because we have His Spirit, we have His Word, and we have each other. And that's what Peter was getting to when he's talking about unity. We have each other. So we have all those things. If we just put our trust in the one who judges justly, not put our trust in the things of man, not put our trust in the things of getting back at someone because we're suffering because of maybe something that they said about us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And remember, he's saying on my account, on the account of Jesus because we're following him. Sometimes I don't feel blessed when someone insults me. But blessed are you, is what Christ says. Isn't that amazing? Now, 
this is what is amazing to me. P Peter is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Okay, when I say character, he truly lived. And he, in the Garden of Gethsemane, here he is preaching about having unity, not getting back, not retaliating. And when the soldiers came in and Jesus was there, they were going to arrest Jesus, Peter cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. We know that because John tells us in that, in that account. He was retaliating. But Christ has changed him. And now he says, don't retaliate. Bless them. And that's hard to do. But if you're in Christ, you also have been changed. You're a new creation. We can do what Christ has asked us to do. We can follow the ways of Christ. He did not revile when he was reviled. He did not speak evil when he was spoken evil of. So we have the Spirit of Christ. We can do that. Let's move on. In uh, 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12, it says this, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord against those who do evil. Peter's actually supporting what he just said in verses 8 and 9. Now he's using Psalms uh, 34 verses 12 through 16 is what he's writing about. This is a psalm of David, and it's talking about how God sees us and he hears us. And that is a comfort in itself. If you're going through suffering because of insults and evil speaking against you, God sees you and he hears you. He knows what's going on in your life. But where's our trust today? Where's our contentment? In verse 10, it says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, it's those who trust God and are contented in Christ. They can do that. They have a contentment. Not cut, that doesn't come from the things of the world. Let me tell you, there is no contentment in the things of the world. If there is, it's, it, it's temporary and it's fruitless. But the things of Christ are certainly eternal. There is a temporary value and comfort in giving voice to suffering by speaking evil of someone who's spoken evil of you. There's value in it and there's comfort in it. It's fruitless and it's temporary. There is temporary value and comfort in giving voice to suffering by speaking deceit about those who do evil. And again, it's temporary and it's fruitless oh you got me I'm going to get you and I'm going to feel really good about it no I've done that in the past and let me tell you you do not feel good it's temporary and it's certainly fruitless and shame comes with that and you just want to get into a hole sometimes and cover yourself up but Christ says don't do that it's fruitless and it's temporary but I want to tell you that there is lasting value. There is comfort and there's peace when we bring things to God and not retaliate. Verse 12 says that the Lord sees and he hears the righteous. The righteous are those who have trusted Jesus and Jesus alone for their salvation. Those are the righteous. And the scripture says that he sees us and he hears us. The Lord God is, not, is for us. He is not against us. 
And we have to, we have to grab hold of that. God is for me. That's, that's the reason I can be right-sized, without a doubt. When Moses stood before the burning bush, I want you to hear what the Lord said to him. This is in Exodus 3-7. This is such a powerful verse. And I believe Peter may be alluding to this when he alludes to Psalms 34. I'm not sure about that, so don't quote me on it. It says this, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and, they have heard, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. You know, I know that the Lord is speaking to Moses about the people in Egypt, but that comforts me so much because even Peter writes to those in Asia Minor that God hears us and he sees us. And I'm so thankful for that. And he's telling those Christians, God sees you and he hears you. He knows you're suffering. But keep following Christ because there is a benefit to that. I just want to make this statement based on the, uh, Exodus 3.7. We serve the same God that spoke to Moses. We say the, serve the same God that Peter walked with and that he's writing about in here. And I'm so thankful that I serve our God because I know that he sees me and he hears me. I don't have to retaliate. I can go to God because he knows my suffering. Let's keep moving. In 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. Now, this, he's really following up with what he just said about God hearing and seeing. He says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for, the right, for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. There's that blessing again. And we keep hearing this. Bless those who persecute us. If you're persecuted, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them. And see, that's where trust comes in. We have to trust what Christ is telling us, even when it sounds counterproductive. There's nothing counterproductive about what Jesus does and says. The scripture bears that out. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Mike read that scripture earlier. And this is the whole context of what Peter's writing. It's better to do good, to follow Christ in his ways. Because there is a benefit to it, even in our suffering, even in those insults. So Peter just wrote, God sees you, God hears you in the previous verse. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for good? And I like to use a zealot for good. Are we a zealot for good, even in suffering? Jesus said this in Matthew 5:10, "Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs theirs is the kingdom of heaven." I just smile when I read the, the things that Jesus said. 1 Peter 2:20, the latter part of that, Peter's already said this in chapter 2, "But if you do, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, 
this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He keeps telling us that these are gracious things. That we're blessed for doing good in the name of Christ. So it is better to do good even in suffering instead of fear and, and uh, being troubled in your mind. That's where your mind gets so filled with fear that you're frozen. You can't do anything is what he's talking about here. He says to honor Christ in our hearts. And how do we do that? Trusting Jesus gives us a calm and a storm, doesn't it? I know I've gone through things in my life, and uh, some of them were terrible things. But I had a calm. I'm going, what's going on here? It was because I know Christ, because Christ has saved me. I have a calm even in that storm. And we don't understand it sometimes. Isn't it better for you and the one who slanders you or reviles your good behavior when you do good? It's better for both. Now, that sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? In the uh, previous verses, when Peter was writing about wives submitting to their husbands, in verse 1 and 2, he said this. He states that even if some of the wives or husbands are not Christians, that you might that they might be won, won to Christ by their respectful and pure conduct. Be doing good for Christ's sake. So there's certainly a benefit for the person that's doing good and the one who hears the good or sees the good. I'm an example of that. My wife and I were married for 11 years. I was not a Christian, and she was. And she became a Christian at nine years old. But this fits her. Because she would go about doing good. She would always take the kids to church and do those things. She did not browbeat me with the gospel. She lived a gospel life. And 11 years living in not good circumstances for her, I thought everything was okay. Then someone came from the church that she was at and shared the gospel with me. 42 years later, here I am. So the doing good pays off there is a benefit in this and i will say this even in my wife's suffering she had told me later she goes i suffered all the time in fact she prayed this prayer some of you may know this she prayed this prayer god either kill him or save him i am so thankful for god's goodness you know but when i'm in that i did not know that but i thank god for her and for those who were surrounding me and I'm sure that you have experienced something like that where God had just come in and just told you how much he loves you that he gave his son for you. And I hope that you will see that today. Spurgeon said this, Oh, to suffer insult and slandering for the sake of the gospel. I love that. I love that quote. Doing good for the sake of Christ open door, opens doors for sharing the gospel. That's what Peter's talking about. If we do good, even in suffering, it opens doors, we can share the gospel. Why are you acting like that? Why aren't you retaliating? Because I serve Christ. And you get the opportunity to share the hope that, that Peter wrote about in chapter 1, this blessed hope that we have. So we're going to end up with the last five verses. And uh, let me read those. That's in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. And it says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This really is 
uh, uh, supporting 17, what he said in verse 17. I put it with 18 through 22. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when, Christ, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God and angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. That Christ is our victory is what that is saying. Even in our suffering, we have victory in Christ. That's what that's saying. And I'm thankful to the preaching team that we have here at Solid Rock because they give me the hard verses. These are hard verses. Let me tell you what Martin Luther said about these verses. He said this. He uh, initiated, Martin Luther initiated the Reformation in the 16th century. He says, this is a strange test and certainly a more obscure passage than any other in the New Testament. I still do not know for sure what the apostle meant. These are hard verses, is what he's saying. That's from Martin Luther. And Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, he, said, he writes, well, Paul writes some hard things too. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Brother Peter, have you read 1 Peter and 2 Peter? Because you wrote some really hard things. So, so this is what we're going to do with them. We're going to expose the Scripture by what we do know, not what we don't know. And that's how we'll, we will approach these today. I'll be glad to sit down and talk with you about them and what I think, but you have to take me to lunch during the week to do that. Amen? So... Peter gives reasons, like I said in verse 17, it is better to suffer for good. Why? For Christ also suffered for sin. And I just had to smile when I read this. I'm so thankful for God. Christ is our example. And that's what he's writing. Follow Christ. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Christ is our example. Not the ways of the world. That's not an example so that you might follow in his steps, Peter says. The good he did through his suffering on the cross is eternal. Think about that. This suffering is eternal for us so that he might bring us to God. The righteous for the unrighteous. This suffering of Christ is the full grace of God, Peter will say, so stand firm in it. And I love that term, I'm an ex-military guy. Stand firm. I understand that language. We have been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We know all of that based on the scripture. And in 1 Peter 5.10, which we'll get to in two or three weeks, this is what Peter writes. After you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore us, confirm us, strengthen, and establish you. I want to paste that on my window of my car where I can't even drive. That is such a powerful statement. That's what I'm going to experience in Christ. So this is what we know. 
that he now sets on the right hand of the Father where angels and authorities and powers and are all subject to him. This is the victory we have even in suffering. So this we know Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again according to the word of God. I believe the word of God. It took me to Jesus when he called. Now Peter goes on and he says, he writes about Noah and the ark. We know this, eight people were saved. And those who were not saved did not obey God. And we know that Noah also suffered, because it took over 100, some would say 120 years, 100 to 120 years to build the ark. And he certainly suffered slander and mockery. Why are you building an ark? It's never even rained. And those who spoke evil of him, because he was what? Because he was following God. But yet he continued, and eight people were saved, Noah and his family. Peter says this corresponds to baptism. So this we know, there was water, there's obedience to God in following him. So Peter does not state that to be saved we have to be baptized. And I know it sounds like that, but he also says not by the removal of dirt, not through an ordinance can I be saved, but he says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ my Lord. That's how I'm saved. Through his suffering on the cross where he took my sins, not through an ornate. But baptism is important because it symbolizes many things and it declares many things. And let me just read some of those and then we'll almost be finished. It says, Baptism symbolizes that Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected from the grave, and one day I'm going to be resurrected with him. Baptism symbolizes that a person's former life has been buried with Christ and that they have been raised to walk in a new life. You hear that when we baptize people on Sundays. Baptism symbolizes, so baptism is a symbol, that a person has confessed their sins to Jesus he is, and he has forgiven all of their sins and cleansed them from all unrighteousness. And there's a declaration in baptism for the one being baptized. Bap through baptism, the person declares that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Baptism declares that the person being baptized believes that through faith in Jesus, my sins are forgiven and I have received the guarantee of eternal life. Through baptism, God is declaring, this is my son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. If we're in Christ, if we get anything today, get this. If we're in Christ, God is pleased with us. And I just take that in and I just, my heart just melts because of what he's done. 42 years ago, when he changed my life forever. I have five questions that I want to go over. Here's question number one. In what ways do you strive to maintain the unity of the body of Christ? If you're a Christian, you're in the body. How do you strive to maintain that? Question two. 
And what ways do you show brotherly or sisterly love by acting for the good of others? Remember what Paul wrote. For the good of others. That's how we're to act toward each other. Not for the bad, not for the evil, for the good of each other because we're in the same family. Question three, do you seek temporary comfort by speaking evil toward others? Or do you trust God to see you and hear you? Trust God today. He does see you and he does hear you. Do you hide your Christianity because of fear or do you share the hope you have in Jesus even if you're insulted or slandered? And the last one says, does knowing that Christ also suffered encourage you to do good even in the midst of suffering? So I will tell you today, if you're here and you're without Christ, we're going to have prayer partners on both sides of the auditorium. They would love to share this good news with you. There will be elders and pastors out in the commons area also. Maybe you've accepted Christ and you haven't been baptized. We would love to baptize you here at Solid Rock where you can declare what Christ has already done in your heart. So let's pray together. The band will come and we'll close out. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's so powerful. Father, as uh, Peter wrote to those who were suffering in Asia Minor, just to have a unity of mind, Father, we know that you're always calling us to a unity of mind in the things of Christ. And Father, whether we suffer insult or whether we suffer evil or whatever, Father, for, for following you, sweet Jesus, just continue to teach us to follow you no matter what. And Father, as those who insult us or speak out against Christianity, may we just bless them that they might know that there is something different about your people. Because you tell us in your word that we are your possession and they might want to know what is different about us. That we are able to share this good news, this blessed hope that we have in Christ. And Father, certainly we just want to be unified and we want to glorify the precious and the mighty name of Jesus because he's above everything. He too suffered once for sin. Thank you, Jesus, that it just took one time. There's no ongoing sacrifice. You are that final sacrifice and we're thankful. And we're thankful, Jesus, that you sit on the right hand of the Father and you have the victory over all things. And you're the one that we serve. Thank you for your word. Thank you for just loving us beyond anything we could imagine and for the hope that we have in you. We pray everything in Jesus' name.